Welcome back to the Hockey House Pod, episode 78, presented by Optimex Sports. I'm your host, Mackenzie Murphy, joined by Stephen Glick, Aiden Collins, and Colin Fitzgerald. Executive producer David Herman is out tonight, but we're still bringing you all the latest news from around the ACHA and the CHF. Collins, I think we got to throw it to you. It sounds like absolute nightmare trip to Buffalo this past weekend. Yeah, it was a rough one. To even like start off the road trip, before we even leave campus, we're already down three guys. Two of them are injured. One's concussed. One has broken ribs. And then another had to go to his sister's wedding. Yeah, so we were down our three of our top six forwards. Pretty brutal. Got the first win over Canisius in the shootout, which was a lot of fun. Got back to the hotel room. Actually, before we even got to back to the hotel room, uh, one kid on our team took a hit. He immediately comes over to me after the uh, period's over. He's like, I need you to find me a trainer. All right, I'll do my best. Can't find a trainer. We get back to the hotel. We're going to bed. I get a call from one of my teammates and they say, come to room whatever. I just get in there. Two of the captains are in there. This kid's just propped up holding his stomach. And I'm like, holy shit. What is going on? Our coach is on the phone with the hospital trying to find an ER that's open at midnight in the middle of Buffalo. And they eventually find an ER, a lot of back and forth with the doctor. To make a long story short, we end up finding out that he ruptured his spleen. Uh, He had mono. He didn't know about it. Had to have his uh, spleen removed. He's doing a lot better now. I think he's back home right now. But that was definitely scary. And then we go out, lose 5-1 to Buffalo. Everybody's sick. Morale is low. We're missing such a key guy on the team. Then we get back to the hotel. We have dinner. Our assistant coach gets back. He only got 15 minutes of sleep. Uh, He was there from midnight to probably 5 p.m. So we're done eating dinner. The rookies, they all decide to get on the same elevator. Ten of them get trapped in an elevator for 50 minutes. It was brutal. Yeah, that was, I think, the only bad part of the road trip for the team entirely. We end up winning five zip over SDSU the next day and get a safe drive back. But when I get on campus, you know, going to get my car from the garage, my entire left side of my car is covered in white paint. And there's two giant dents on my car. And I'm like, holy shit. And then I go to try to unlock my car and the battery's dead. And now I'm fucked. To make things even better, I still haven't heard back from Instagram about the Villanova hockey account. So it's been a lovely weekend, to say the least. You know where that story got scary? Where? The fact that someone was having a wedding on Halloween weekend. That's how we started that whole thing. That was enough to be a nightmare of a weekend. Just glad you guys survived. I mean, to come away 2-1 and one on the weekend of the Buffalo Meltdown, all things considered, sounds like it was, it was a W for the boys on the ice. Maybe a, we could chalk that up as a loss off the ice. Yeah, it was a loss off the ice. I don't think it was the results we wanted. I think if we had the full team there, it would be a little bit better of a result. But it was not the title defense we wanted. Just thank God we're not going back next year. That that was awful. Wait, so how do you win the Buffalo Meltdown? Is it whatever team goes 3-0 and wins the Meltdown? No, it's so stupid. It is so stupid. Glick, feel free to chime in as well. It's a points-based system. One point for each period won in the two games you play. And then based off of the seeding, the top two teams play in the final, which was uh, Westchester and Buffalo, I think. And Westchester ended up winning. But I, it's kind of a stupid tournament format, if you ask me, because you could put up like eight in the first, you know, maybe put up like 15 in the second, let's say. But let, like if you just absolutely blow the bed the third period, you know, lose your <laughs> you technically tied the other team because you get there's four points to a game, one point for each period and one for the win. So it's so stupid. I'm going to write a letter to the ACHA office, actually. I think that's how the ranking system should be done because Syracuse would be much higher on the list if we're only chalking up periods lost as one point. I think I think that is a grand scheme of doing things. Just all the ACHA is scored based on the Buffalo meltdown system. 
I'm here for it. Glick, how was your experience in Buffalo this weekend? Not as dramatic. We did have the bus break down on the way there and then break down in basically the exact same part of the highway on the way back. But overall, it was a really fun weekend. We dropped the first game to Buffalo, played the second game at like 8 a.m., 9 a.m., gorgeous, gorgeous outdoor rink. I forgot what it's called, but I mean, it was beautiful. We got to, while we're warming up, the sun was rising over the ice. Uh, we'd be Western Michigan 4-2 there, and then we dropped the last game to Canisius. But overall, I mean, you know, the boys weren't very excited about missing Halloween weekend, but we think we definitely made the most of it that weekend. Oh, I forgot to mention, I, I got to take some photos of Glick too, so... That was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was my highlight. Which I was, pu- I was pumped about. We've been using this photo of him with the water bottle for like six years now. I made sure to get another one. How was it wearing eye black? Like you looked like a like a badass with all that eye black on. Yeah, I was honestly, we were just so excited for all that. I was absolute rookie mistake. I forgot to bring a toque and the other goalies on Western Michigan had them and I felt really bad. So I guess I just had to make sure that team eye black beat I, uh, team toque that, that game. And you, you new bucket is there? What when did that happen? Yeah, honestly, I've been like I keep on forgetting to mention this on the pod. But after the Townsend game, which was about three weeks ago, I noticed there were these massive cracks in my helmet, and it was just absolutely dangerous for me to use it. So I just had to retire, old Family Guy. I'm gonna have to wrap up my college career in just a plain white helmet. But honestly, I low key kind of like it because for once, my gear in college matches. Yeah, no, it, it looks great. I didn't even recognize you in the photo until I saw the tag that it was you when, when Collins took it. Fitzy's been sitting in the dark in his quiet, dramatic room for nine minutes now. I guess we'll go to him. Fitzy, you've made your SPHL debut since we last talked. How are things going down in the, the SP? Yeah, played my first game. Family got to come. Uh, it was in Danville, Illinois, which is like two hours from Chicago. So fam was there, a couple friends. Um, I've been living the healthy scratch life since, though. Uh, next three games have been scratched. So it's been a, a serious grind here. They're, um, our rosters had to get down to 19 guys by uh, Halloween night. So there was tensions were high just around the team locker room last few days because uh, we were at 22 going into that. So people didn't know like what was going to be happening. So just lucky to still be here. Not sure, you know, what's going to happen, but there's still hope. I'm, I'm still here. Just going to keep grinding and uh, see what happens. But I wouldn't say a dream come true playing um, in an SPHL game, but it was just really cool to be able able to come that far just being a little ACHA D2 schmuck out there mucking it up with the uh the so-called big boys so it was definitely um something I'll remember for forever you've come a long way since the days at the Frank you talk about having 19 on the roster how many guys dress in a game in the SP they dress 18 so one guy will be getting scratched uh each game hoping that's not me regularly but um we'll see what happens you know a tough weekend for the boys in Cuse. we had a uh a home and home series with oswego very good team we skated with them uh we played like a really good first two periods on the road on thursday night and you know they scored a power play goal early in the third and we kind of down by two we were making mistakes trying to get back in the game and all of a sudden it turned into a six nothing blowout and we were just happy to get out of there and go back home and play Friday on home ice and uh, much of the same. I thought we dominated the game for majority of part. Felt like in the third period, we had all the snow down on their side. There were still wet patches on our end and then kept hitting the post. Their goalies played great all weekend. They came back down and we had the puck in their end for like the last two minutes and then they got the puck with 10 seconds to go, scooped it up, scored on a wrist shot, 
coming into the zone on like a one on three. And uh, that was the game winner with uh, eight seconds to go. And then the same kid scored right off the draw into the empty net. Uh, so he had himself a night, but tough weekend all around. But we debuted our pink jerseys. We raised $2,000 for breast cancer, uh, which, you know, I think we can chalk that up as a W at least. But it was a good weekend. Uh, I had some friends from high school come visit me to my best friends from home, uh, which was great. They got to because they didn't do a PG year like me. They graduated college last year. So it was fun for them to be a college kid again for the weekend. And they enjoyed the Q's experience. But all in all, a good weekend. Like I said, I did get the results on the ice, but still made the most of it. Huge upsets this weekend. We'll kick things off Friday night. Robert Morris stuns Liberty with a 4-1 win off of a 63-save performance from Parker Rutherford. I don't know if you guys saw this one. We I completely missed it on Friday night You know, with, with our game, but to wake up the next day and see that Robert Morris not only beat Liberty, but a 63-save performance uh, was huge. The goalies in the chat, Glick, I'm sure you've got something to say about that. I know that we're not allowed to give out scholarships in the ACHA, but good God, this man deserves something for that performance. Robert Morris has got to give him something special. Yeah, Jess Butterly, friend of the show, she said we got to give him a gold star. I know there are people in the comments saying that he needs a steak dinner or something. Four unanswered goals from the Colonials. Next night was a tough one, though. They lost 9-2. to two. To get a win at La Haye like that, Like I think most teams are happy to get the split there. We had more upsets, though, this weekend. Um, in the Eshel, Stony Brook lost their first game. Uh, you, bubble team URI handed number six Stony Brook. Their first loss of the season. I think that was evident in the rankings. Stony Brook dropped this week down to, I believe, 10. Indiana Tech dropped a game too. Rival Lawrence Tech pulled off the 3-2 overtime win on Saturday. Indiana Tech got the win on Friday night in overtime. I'm sure you guys all saw that celebration the kid had going out to center ice and reverse push-ups, bench press, whatever you want to call it. That was certainly a celebration for the ages. And then Illinois State also dropped. They lost to McKendry. Uh, McKendry 2 Seven and one beat Illinois State in a shootout. Illinois State eight two and two on the season. Just wanted to say that Sally was what I like to call the reverse Murph. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, it was funny. My roommate Vinny saw was watching like the Theo Flurry clip, you know, where he just scores in Calgary in like the eighties, and he just goes nuts down the ice. And literally the next morning, this kid was just going nuts. It's so funny watching the reaction from his teammates. They're just like, "What the heck is this kid doing?" And I think it was it's. Even even funnier for us because like the minute I saw we had an Indiana Tech highlight in the submissions I was like oh my goodness like this is going up like we got to get this up we never get anything from those guys and to get that was was awesome and they got the split against Lawrence Tech let's jump into the rankings talk here Fitzy's probably like oh my gosh I'm so glad I don't have to deal with these rankings anymore he's always hated them I'm an agent of chaos I love love weeks like this where just everything is out of sorts and we get to kind of dissect it a little bit here but to walk people through it First week of the computer poll, the computer ranking for the ninth time will determine the 20 teams that qualify for the 2023 ACHA Men's Division One National Championship, which includes eight auto bids. The computer-based ranking is the first one of the season starting on November 1st. The previous rankings were all done by the coaches poll. This one sees UNLV regain the top spot, followed by Arizona State, which is a big shocker. They were previously at number 11. Minot State, number three. UCO remains at number four. Jamestown, 
Four and four on the year. They move from 10 to five. Adrian drops from number three to number six. We get Liberty at seven, Utah at eight, Ohio at nine, Stony Brook at 10, followed by Pitt. Newcomer Oregon was not ranked there at 12. Rhode Island was not ranked there at 14, following Calvin at 13. Um, and then a couple other non-ranked teams that make it. Oswego State, 21, their highest ranking in program history, coming off the sweep this weekend here in Syracuse. GCU, they're three, five, and one on the year, but they end up at 22 and uh, IUP 10 and one on the year. Their loan loss to Oswego. They come in at 24 and Arizona at 25 to round it out. Now, lots of questions. You can just look at our Instagram. People are basically however many games you have against the top teams decides where you are in the rankings. And so looking at it, before the show we were discussing UNLV is basically determined as having the toughest schedule. They're the only under undefeated team with Minot state UNLV five and O Minot state eight. No, um, it's determined that UNLV has the tougher schedule. So they get the one seed and then going down the list, Arizona state six and two, their only losses on the year coming to UNLV. So that's where they get the two spot followed by Minot eight. No UCL has losses to UNLV and Maryville. Yeah. It just kind of works its way down the list. Glick. I know you're kind of in the category with me here in Cuse. We're probably lower in the rankings than we would like to be at this point in the season, but anything that stands out to you from day one of the computer, rankings. Just to preface this, I do have an 80 in my analytics class, so I guess I would say I am our resident expert in algorithms, but I this is all over the place right now. Something that's quite shocking is Oregon being 1-2-1, one, and one, being ranked at 12. I mean, I know they're a very good team, and we really touted them very highly a couple episodes ago, but I'm just absolutely shocked that they were that high up in the rankings this early on in their Division One careers. Yeah, and I think it just goes to show the power of the games against UNLV, because UNLV beat Arizona State, Arizona State's only loss of the year coming to UNLV, and then Oregon's only losses on the year are coming to ASU. So it's like that. Collins, what were we calling it earlier? What, what property are we using here? The transitive property of sports. I used it last year to find out how Villanova hockey was the number one team in all of college hockey, not just ACHA, but NCAA D1 as well. I feel like that's kind of a, a, a poor way to rank teams because like you look at it like the WCHL is like ridiculously ridiculously high like and it kind of worked the same last year too with Lindenwood you saw a lot of the teams that they were playing frequently in the top 10 as well and I feel like that doesn't really capture the whole picture as much as it should it's a lot better than the coaches poll in my opinion at this point this podcast has become listen to Aiden complain about the rankings for the whatever week in a row yeah I think that, that talking with a couple coaches today it sounds like the big thing is just there's not enough computer data UNLV has only played five games Oregon's only played four games. Jamestown has only played eight games, but four of them were against Minot State. So there's just not enough data to go around. And we all know strength of schedule plays into it, but we'll just, we'll keep an eye on it. Cause I, I usually, I feel like this is how it goes. Coaches poll comes, people don't agree with it. Computer ranking comes and people don't agree with it at all. But then after like a month or two of the computer rankings, it basically just stays the same and it's almost impossible to move up and down. So I feel like these games coming up here in the next month are huge for teams looking to move up or down because once it gets to a certain point in the season, and teams don't really move up and down that much. And there's eight auto bids. And then after that, uh, there's 12 spots left. Every spot is important in the rankings here, and we'll keep you guys up to date. We'll, we'll have to get somebody from the ACHL at some point to explain the rankings here. Aha! And it's a good thing I double-checked, because guess what we got this week? CHF rankings. You guys aren't even ready for this. We don't even have it in the notes. We're going to talk CHF rankings for the first time this season. The national top 10. Coming in at number one, we have the University of Alabama at 8-2. and two. Uh, Number two, 
Alabama Huntsville, two, five, and one. You know what? I am going to take back everything I just said. It looks like the rankings are in alphabetical order at this point. That'll do it. <laughs> That'll do it. This is the hard-hitting journalism you guys tune into right here. It appears there's no national ranking at this point. In the Atlantic region, though, Delaware is 18-4. and four. They've already played that many games? Is this? This has to be last season. There's no it's, way Kakaki has it's played. It's labeled as 20. <laughs> They're 21-10-1. You know what? We tried to do our best. We tried to get the hard-hitting journalism. We'll pause that. We'll take a TV timeout here. And uh, we'll come back next week with the CHF rankings and more of the ACHA rankings as those start to come out as well, too. I know a lot of people are waiting for those D2, D3, and uh, women's rankings to come out as well. Moving along, we got some talking points. A couple of Michigan moves um, this weekend. Gunnar Sedinsky of Hope College, he had one we just posted on the IG. Very clean one. It, it almost looked like a gimme. I called it the scoop and score because it just it just rolled on his stick and he put it in. doesn't get much easier than that to pull off the Michigan. They swept Miami 7-2 and 8 nothing. And then Shane Haggerty for Grand Valley State in a 13-1 win over Roosevelt. Uh, that's got Burger Con conversation written all over it um the lakers got the sweep six to two on saturday we were talking about this earlier in the, in the group text you know about the rankings and how some teams if you're not doing as well can kind of pull down the league like right now the rankings the west is is doing well and then the eschel is number two the cschl was doing really well because all three teams were in the top five illinois is off to a tough start this year i think they're like 64 in the rankings but we were discussing how do you do a three-team playoff and i think the only feasible way they do this is to have all three teams on the ice at one time with three nets uh, I don't know if you do one or two pucks, but we got talking. Do we do air hockey style? Uh, do they play this on the big pond at Illinois? You know, it's basically a square sheet of ice anyways. Herm said it, but the best way to do it is probably the hungry, hungry hippos method. You know, just get all three teams out there, chuck a bunch of pucks out there and see who can get the most in the net uh, by the end of the night. But we'll we'll have to keep an eye on the three team playoff and what the Central States Collegiate Hockey League plans on doing. But that's just a day in the life of the Hockey House pod group text going on. Collins, I know you had, I think you were, you sent photos of the air hockey table, right? Three-way soccer too? No, that was uh, that was Herm, I think, that sent the, th- the air hockey table. I sent the, the three-sided soccer, which is actually a sport recognized by FIFA. There is a whole video on the FIFA YouTube channel on the official rules of three-sided soccer. I definitely think three-sided soccer or Hungry Hungry Hippo style, both very adequate. Adequate ways of determining the CSCHL champion. Wanted to give stick taps this week to TCNJ. They got their first win at the men's Division One ACHA level, beating in-state rival Rutgers four to two. Shout out to Christian Brothers Academy High School here in New York. They all these college teams were doing uh, on-campus photo shoots, and uh, they tagged us in one. They did an on-campus photo shoot here in Syracuse at CBA, and uh, we're looking for the collab post, but not sure it's quite the right content we're looking for to promote the ACHA and the CHF. But wanted to give the boys a shout out uh herm is still torn up about the 04 new york state football final where new rochelle lost to cba in the miracle game so he added that in the notes herm by the way he's out tonight uh tough shootout loss for the comets uh, he's busy working and he's in the office. So no Herm tonight. I know we said that at the start of the show, but that's what he's up to this week. He added his hot takes though, which is good. He said, how in God's name is Arizona state number two? Um, I think that has a lot of people questioning him. We'll see in-state rivalry game though for them. We'll get to that in a little bit in the show. ASU taking on Arizona in Tucson. That is usually a barn burner. So a real test for the Sun Devils. And then uh, another one from her. If West Virginia can improve, would love to see them get snatched up by the CSCHL. They are traveling to Ohio this week. So that's got Herm thinking about uh, the country roads and adding them to the CSCHL and then 
at that point they can do a, a real tournament and they don't have to play three-sided hockey or hungry hungry hippos but we've got a great interview for you this week jenna trubiano the head coach at the university of michigan former player as well she joins the show to discuss not only her career but her career behind the bench at the university of michigan and as always this one is brought to you by optimex sports optimex sports provides teams the opportunity to build and manage their own website and the best part is your first year is free be sure to check them out using the link in our bio and if you're interested in signing up be sure to use the referral link optimxsports.com slash sign up slash hockey house pod uh, they got all kinds of new features we've talked about them a bunch already but the ability to add your team store sell tickets merchandise make payments have people make donations it is a win-win for you and your team would love to see teams you know lower their dues because of optimx you, know, you get your first year free and uh ways to fundraise right from your website so it's a win-win for everybody but we talked about plenty of wins with with coach tribs this week talking university of michigan women's hockey and that's coming up next we're pleased to be joined by former player and current head coach of the University of Michigan women's ice hockey team, Jenna Tibbs. Coach Tibbs, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're psyched to have you guys on. I feel like you guys have been under the radar for the last year or so, making some noise on social media. Uh, how's the season going so far this year? So far, so good. We split with Indiana Tech a couple weekends ago. That was pretty rough. But we've got redemption this weekend. We're playing Lake State again twice. Then we have a bye weekend. Then we're out to Utah. We're really excited. There's good energy at the rink tonight. So I'm super excited to get on the ice. Awesome. And I know you guys kind of bounced around a couple of rinks. Where are you guys tonight before practice? So we're at Yoast. Fortunately, all of our home games will be at Yoast this year. In the past, that hasn't necessarily happened. Um, but we practice three nights a week at Yoast. We're on the ice at 10 o'clock tonight, which is late, but it is what it is. It's a great facility to be at. We have some late nights at Yoast. We've had some early mornings before. Yeah, like I said, just happy to be here. A rink like Yoast, I think at 10 o'clock ice time is is definitely worth it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we don't have a locker room, which sucks, but it's kind of cool to be, you know, the only ones in the building. It's definitely a great facility, historic and everything. So uh, it's a good time. Well, let's dive into your career as a player for a bit here. Where did you grow up playing hockey and how did you end up at the University of Michigan? It's a great question. So I grew up New Baltimore, Michigan, 35 minutes northeast of Detroit, so a little bit north of Mount Clemens. Didn't get into hockey until I was a little bit older, about 10 years old. Nobody in my family played. My older brother never played. Played for the Mount Clemens Wolves travel team. Didn't think I was going to make the team. Made the team. Ended up playing for Beltire 14U AAA. Made Little Caesars 16U my first year of 16s. I played Little Caesars throughout high school. Uh, senior year, you know, junior, senior year, I went through the recruiting process for a lot of NCAA schools and nothing really felt right. I actually grew up a Michigan State fan and I'd I was like, I can't stand Ann Arbor, even though I had never been. My mom encouraged me to apply. I came to campus, fell in love with it, realized they had an ACHA program. And I met uh, Monica Corzon, who had transferred from Plattsburgh State, played for Honey Baked Tier 1. Uh, she won a national championship with Plattsburgh and ended up transferring to Michigan because academically she just wasn't challenged. So I talked with her and that kind of solidified my decision. And there's so much opportunity here as a club program to make an impact, even as a student. And that's something I'm really passionate about. You know, I love hockey and to see where the program was in 2013 to what it is now. It's really exciting. Yeah. And we'll definitely dive into what it looks like now. But what are some early memories uh, when you first came to the program in, in 2013 that not are necessarily drastically different now, but some things that stood out when you joined the team uh, your freshman year? We obviously pay for ice time at Yoast. My freshman year, I think it was probably September or October, we showed up to the rink for practice and the hockey pep band was practicing during 
during our practice. So you couldn't hear the coach at all. Like it was just the most unproductive practice. And it kept happening because, you know, athletics was like, oh, this is our facility. We can do what we want. But it just like it was like the norm. Like it was like, okay, like the band's you know, the band's going to be practicing during our practice. So we're just going to have to work through it. That in addition to, you know, driving out to Delaware 15 hours through the middle of the night, just those things that were the norm um, for those traditional club programs that you don't really see in the newer ACHA programs that are popping up. Stuff like that. We made it fun. Definitely the norm back then. But, you know, we're the only women's hockey team at the University of Michigan. So that's how we act on and off the ice. And with everything we do, we try to do it with pride. So yeah, I think there's a, there's we'll probably make a couple more connections during our chat here, but playing at Syracuse, it's very similar. Like we have a varsity women's team, but no varsity men's team. So we're the only team on campus and yep. we're taught with club sports. Like you can rent out a facility, but at the end of the day, if athletics needs it, like they're going to use it for something else. So Absolutely. if Mercyhurst is coming in and they need a practice time slot, like we might get booted from our time slot. So things like that, I can definitely understand, but I can't imagine doing a practice with the pep band playing in the background. Yeah, it was it was very difficult. And I thought about it from a coaching perspective this time. I would have been livid. I would be livid if that happened tonight, next week, week after that. And I think we've gotten away from that because it hasn't happened recently or since I've been in charge of the program as a coach. So fingers crossed that I'm not jinxing us again. Uh, sticking with the theme of your playing days, um, how much did you see the program grow in your four years as a player? I'm sure as you you stayed longer on the team. You developed into more of a leadership role when you're older on the team. It seems like the upperclassmen get more of the weight when it comes to the fundraising and the organizing of things. How did you see your role on the team shift in your time as a player? Yeah, I think going back to just seeing this team as an opportunity, uh, freshman year, I created our team Instagram page. You know, it was 2013. So, you know, mobile phones and smartphones were a common thing for students and parents alike. So just trying to really build the base that we have today, seeing as it an opportunity freshman year, like right off the gate, it's like, okay, it's, you know, it's Michigan women's hockey. There's no D1 hockey in the state of Michigan. Like, why isn't this an option for more women in Michigan, like in the state of Michigan or the state surrounding Michigan that want to play hockey at a competitive level, yet are pushed to leave the state because there are no D1 options. Um, so I think even from the start, it was, I wanted to get involved. So just took over all the social media responsibilities, really pushed our Facebook out there because Facebook was a big thing back then. Created a LinkedIn alumni group, just really trying to engage our alumni. We've got our 30th anniversary coming up in 2025. So right now we're kind of taking some baby steps and gathering information of how to engage alumni because 30 years is a long time. And it's also a long time for a club women's hockey program to still be a club women's hockey program. So ideas in the works right now. My senior year, I served as a team president and I was a captain for three years as well, you know, with our program and just seeing the talent level that's, you know, across the ACHA. And I'm sure you see it on the men's level, on the men's side too. Like there are players that play NCAA that transfer to ACHA programs because they want a different experience or they want stronger academics. And we see a lot of that at Michigan. There are a lot of students that 
go play elsewhere and decide that it's not a fit academically. In Michigan, you can get the Big Ten experience. You can go to the football games. You can go to some men's hockey games. You can play a competitive hockey schedule, but academics will always come first. So, I mean, just talent-wise, like our our talent this season is the most talented team we've ever had. We have players that have played for NCAA D1, D3 programs. We have players that had offers to play elsewhere, but opted to come to Michigan because of the education. You mentioned it at the start there, but did you say the state of Michigan has no Division I college hockey women's teams? Yes, that is correct. I don't think a lot of people realize that. It is crazy to think of how big of a hockey state Michigan is that there is no Division I team at that level. Yeah, the last program was Wayne State, but they folded in 2011. And when I played for Little Caesars, we actually skated at the same arena in Detroit as them. And when they folded, our 19U program had actually taken like a couple players in because their program just evaporated like mid-season. I mean, it wasn't the best facility, but it was the only option for women in the state of Michigan. And since then, it's the question I always get asked when I go out and recruit is like, oh, is Michigan getting a D1 program? And I'm like, well, if they did, they probably wouldn't tell me. Um, I would hope that they would, but I don't know if they would. And then there's cascading, you know, 20 questions after that. It's pretty absurd. There's two D3 programs in Adrian College and Finlandia University, which is way up in the UP. It's like probably 12 hours away. And then Adrian's about 45 minutes, but Adrian has a team at every level. I think there were over 20 players from the state of Michigan that went and played Division One for this season. 20 women left the state to go play Division One. Their coaches are pushing them to do that right. So um, I'd love to see more Michiganders pursue options in the state. Um, but I also think on the coaching side, it's they're kind of driven away um, or they're deterred from the ACHA options because I, I definitely experienced that as well. It was, you know, I was like, I'm going to Michigan. My coaches was like, oh, you should post-grad. I'm like, I'm going to Michigan. I want to go to the football games. I want to, like, I want to, like, have, like, a student experience and play hockey and make an impact. So there's options for women um, in the state of Michigan. I think they're just not, they're not discussed enough at the highest level, but that's probably another conversation. <laughs> Do you talk about talking with recruits and even players who are transferring and, and leaving the Division Three level to come play in the ACHA at Michigan? What do those conversations look like? Like, how much do you take in your experience as a player when discussing the benefits of of playing at the ACHA level at a school like Michigan? You know, I talk to it a little bit, but I think it's important for those recruits or prospective students to get a current student's perspective on everything because things have changed so much academically with our program. So I relate to them a little bit, but what I typically do is hand them off to a student on our team that fits, that might have a similar hockey background or academic interests, leave it up to them, give them the autonomy to make that connection with the player on our team. I had an experience. Everybody has a different experience. We actually get pretty lucky because sometimes students just apply come April. They're like, hey, I got into Michigan. I had, you know, X, Y, Z offer, but I'm coming to Michigan. I'm like, okay, like we haven't, you know, I haven't been in communication with you for nine months, but, you know, we're happy to have you. It really just depends on the situation. I have been doing more recruiting now that the ACHA in general, especially for women is growing and you see those smaller schools popping up programs like Indiana Tech, Minot State, those schools that are really enrollment driven, putting on a women's hockey program to drive enrollment for their university. We're now competing with those programs for schools because we have this kind of club stigma 
I think a lot of players just assume that we're a club that plays hockey or a lot of like after I had a tweet that blew up earlier this year, there were some comments like, oh, I didn't like, do they have a coach? Like, does the women's hockey like club team actually have a coach or do you guys just skate in circles? It's like, why don't you watch a game or come to a game and find out? We have players that have played at the division one level at the D3 level that could have done that, but have opted to play and wear the block M. You know, the Michigan sells itself academically and the experience I think it's more just weighing a recruit's options and say okay you know you could go play at this division three school and have this experience or you could have this completely different experience and be able to do more academically you know not have to worry about what classes you want to take because we've all had those conversations with our coaches and our leadership you mentioned wearing the iconic block m I think when people think of Michigan being iconic I think a lot of people are driven by the helmet design the classic winged uh, helmet. We talked about it a couple episodes ago, but you guys actually have the real deal Bauer helmets this season. Gone are the days of getting electrical tape and and finagling you know, the replicas. Uh, how satisfying is that for you as the coach? Uh, when you were a player, you went through you know having to stick on the stickers in your helmet and now the girls get you know their own set from Bauer. It's exciting to see and I think it's symbolic in the fact that you know our program started, you know, when I was a student in 2013, we were doing helmet taping parties where we would just, everybody would go buy a Navy helmet and then somebody would teach everybody else how to tape them. And then you'd cut it with a box cutter. And I think for our upperclassmen that have had the experience of potentially wearing the electrical tape or just the block M just on the helmet, just so it looked clean, it is a big deal for them. And it's something that they're going to have for the rest of their lives. And it's, you know, an official piece of equipment that they can show their children or their nieces or their nephews and say like, hey, I played hockey at Michigan. Doesn't matter that I was a woman. I played hockey at Michigan. Look at this helmet. Everybody knows what it means. So it's symbolic for us, for sure. Um, And we got new jerseys for the first time in 10 years, too. So it's it's exciting to see. um, And I hope all of our alumni are excited about it, too. I know they didn't have you know the stuff that we have now but we couldn't have done it without them saving the pennies for us to be in the position we are today so talking about your experience as a player um what was the transition like to behind the bench after graduation when did you get involved in the coaching side of things I got involved following season after I'd graduated. So I graduated actually on accident. I broke my leg my true senior year. So I had to drop a couple classes and I thought I was going to do a full fifth year, but I ended up graduating December of 2017. So I stuck around, wasn't obviously eligible to play that second semester or that winter semester. But starting in 2018, I was recruited on to be an assistant coach. And it actually helped me a lot because I think growing up playing hockey, you're so busy all the time and you're just really good at time management when you know you have to be at the rink or you have other things to do. And I was working full time and I felt honestly pretty lost without any aspect of hockey in my life. And I'm really fortunate that the coaching staff at the time pushed me to join because I think without them, I may not have pursued coaching at Michigan is an option, but I think now as a head coach, looking back, very grateful that they did push me because I, like I said, I was a little lost, but I think they could see that. And I think they knew that it would help me to get or stay involved with the program. So I'm very fortunate for that. I took over the head coaching duties. I think it was March, 2021. So still over that COVID period when we didn't have a season. Um, and then last season 
I would say it was a bit of a transition year just because we didn't have a season due to COVID and we didn't really know who was going to show up at Michigan or who wanted to play. So we had a freshman class, our sophomore class, it was their first year on campus. And then we had a handful of transfer students that just kind of all showed up. We did pretty well last season and we graduated three players. So most of our players this year are returners with the exception of our incoming students. So it's a good group. I feel very fortunate to be in the position that I am now and kind of doing everything in my power, including social media and Twitter to help better our program as well as women's hockey in the state of Michigan. It's interesting that you bring up the point of missing that extracurricular once you got a job. I feel like I've seen so many TikToks lately about student athletes who say that void once they get a a full-time gig. What would your advice be to players that are graduating that are thinking about getting into coaching? I would say, you know, try it out. There's so many different levels, especially with hockey. Like there's so many varying levels of commitment, especially for young coaches. If you can only commit one night a week because you're not sure of your work schedule or travel schedule, just try it. Coaches are understanding right? A lot of coaches at the youth level are volunteers, so they understand that. For me specifically, which I think a lot of my friends that were athletes themselves have dealt with, is sort of what you're describing, where like your whole life, you've been used to this routine of structuring your life around one thing, and then boom, you're in an office nine to five, and then you leave. Having something to look forward to, like you should like your job. If you don't, that's okay too. Most people have to work, but for me, hockey's hockey's a different type of work. It's definitely my passion. I love my job, my full-time job at NSF. So if my boss is listening, he's been very, very, like I couldn't do this without him. He's been the most supportive boss and manager. He gets it. So as long as I get my work done with him, he doesn't really care what I do at the rink. So I'm very fortunate to have that. But at any level, any rink, any sport, just try to stay involved. If it's not for you, it's not for you. That would be my my recommendation and my advice. You hinted at the, the many hats that you wear as the head coach. Let's get into your, your Twitter because I feel like that's how you first got on our radar when the University of Michigan announced that they were going to plan $41 million to expand the scoreboard at the big house. Um, you stepped in and, and acknowledged that maybe there was more funding that could be thrown towards other club sports on campus and you know, preferably the women's ice hockey program. What was that like when you fired off that tweet and then it kind of went viral? It was exciting for sure. I was freaking out a little bit just because I'm not a big social media person, but I think I'm at a point now where I've I've just accepted it that I'm this voice. It was exciting though. It definitely blew up more than I thought it would. I was sort of emotional when I sent it out, not that it was incorrect information. I think a lot of people did not realize that we have to pay for ice time at Yoast. I know it varies from university to university, but if you look at $41 million dollars, and how many zeros there are. The allocation that we get from club sports and what our ice bill is from a facility on campus and everything that comes with it, that, you know, 1% of that could cover our budget or most of our budget for one season. Every time I look at $41 million, and I also saw, (laughs) I also saw, a picture of the scoreboard. I don't know if you saw that. Basically what they're doing, they're just like extending the sides of it. And I actually saw some responses like, oh, you you know, what about the women's hockey team, all this stuff. So I'm glad that people still remember. And I'm glad that it's in the back of some heads. And I know there have been some rumblings within athletics about it. My tweet specifically 
I haven't been in contact with anybody, but that's what I've heard. So hopefully it'll ignite some changes. But like you understand at any big university, things move very, very slowly because there's a lot of processes that everybody needs to take. You know, my fingers are crossed for some changes. I know club sports, We've I had a discussion with them over the summer about allocation and where Michigan's at compared to other schools. I'm hopeful that things will change. It won't be this season, but maybe it'll be next season or the season after that. And hopefully I'm still around to see those changes. Speaking of, you know, the treatment at the, at the university, um, I know like at Syracuse, there's always a big thing because the rule is if you don't have an NCAA team on campus, you don't have to put club next to your name. But we always get caught up in the, we have a field hockey team. We also have a women's ice hockey team. So it's really hard for us to make the argument to put hockey on stuff. In terms of the relationship with the university, besides the scoreboard, what has that relationship been like since your time as a player and now as a coach? I would say it's definitely improved slightly. Um, So in terms of our logo, because like you've said, we don't have a varsity counterpart, we can put women's ice hockey on our stuff we can't put you know Michigan hockey so we're fortunate in that aspect because I really don't like the word club at all I think there's small battles um so like right now I'm sitting in the I don't even I guess the manager's office like in between the manager's offices at Yoast, like a little lobby. The rink manager right now, his name's Alex. Um, He actually worked with my boyfriend at the Ann Arbor Ice Cube. So like I knew him before he worked at Yoast. So just like little things like that, like building relationships um, has definitely helped. When I was a student, I worked at Yoast for about a year. So I got to know the facility, you know, gain the trust of some of the people that still work here. So just small battles like that have really been helpful for us because historically in the past, there have been some individuals or groups that kept trying to put us down. But I think right now we're in we're in a good place and there's a lot of people rooting for us right now, especially with everything that's happened with the men's varsity program. A lot of people have looked at us and said, okay, well, like, what about the women? You know, you're talking about these Title IX issues within a program. And a lot of people didn't even know that Michigan had a like a women's program. Yes, it is a it's a club program at the university, but we play teams like Michigan State, we play Arizona State, we play well-known universities that have really, really good programs. Every little thing helps and just gaining the trust of people in the facility has been huge for us. And, you know, some physical donations have come out of it like we got a sparks machine from somebody that had been following along on twitter with everything so it's been nice to feel seen and feel heard as a program you mentioned playing you know the michigan states and the arizona states those are two programs that you know field varsity men's teams do those games feel a little bit bigger especially the michigan state one you know because your programs there's almost a microscope on you guys at the acha level because you are the only women's hockey teams on campus yeah for sure uh um, we played Michigan State for our season opener at Mount Clemens, and it was like a youth girls hockey kickoff weekend for the Metro Junior Jets up at Mount Clemens, where I actually grew up playing hockey. So that was special. You know, no matter how our teams are built every season, it's a great game. We're going to close our, our season with them. So we're super excited. But yeah, like you said, I mean, it's it's just so absurd that the state of Michigan doesn't have a Division One program. We have seven men's program and zero women's programs. You know, you have hockey schools like Western Michigan, Ferris State, Northern Michigan, Michigan Tech. None of them have women's Division One programs. So it just it just seems really lopsided. And there is a microscope when we play. We usually get a decent turnout. And I think now that our social media 
has been uplifted in a sense and we have more of a following that those games are only going to get bigger and bigger. The University of Michigan's men's lacrosse team was very successful at the club level before they were elevated to NCAA status. Arizona State is another place to look at and what Greg Powers was able to do. When we interviewed him, he said the goal was never to go uh, Division One, but the goal is always to be the best club hockey team in the country. Are those two areas where you look at as like trying to improve at the ACHA level and hopefully enough people are taking notice? Yeah, I think for me, there's two separate goals. So um, one is to build a program very competitive at the ACHA level, which as I've alluded to earlier, it's becoming more difficult just because there are smaller like NAI schools popping up with women's programs. And then long term, you know, five year, 10 year plan is to eventually get this program to a status where it is varsity. There are challenges to both. Short term, you know, obviously recruiting, trying to find those players that might be trying to choose between like a smaller Division One school and University of Michigan. Like I said, putting them in contact with players that may have gone through a similar recruiting process that can help them through some of the questions that they have and talk about their experience on campus. So definitely two things that are always in the back of my mind. Obviously, long term is eventually this. There's no reason that this program should not be a varsity program, but we're going to do the best we can in the situation at hand and the cards that were dealt. So on our mind is Lake Superior State this weekend. We played them twice in October, which was our first road trip. Didn't score as much as we had liked. We had gotten two shutouts, which was great, but we need to start producing goals. So that's what we're going to be working on tonight at practice. Awesome. Before you go, Coach, is there anything we have made it as a goal at the Hockey House to cover more of the women's side of the ACHA? Because I think it's easy for our followers to relate because there's so many more men's ACHA teams. Talk about the growth that you've seen in the women's side of the ACHA in, in your time in the league. It's The growth has been incredible, honestly. When I was a freshman, I think top eight teams made nationals, and we made it my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, I think all these programs started popping up and like all of a sudden these new programs were just really, really good. And we had no idea why, but I know why now. Yeah. Just, I mean, the teams we compete against and just the talent level of every team, like the teams are so even now, I would say Um, it's very, with the exception of the newer programs, every game is a close game. Talent's pretty spread. Even, even with our program, we get a lot of players that, you know, could have played elsewhere and have that NCAA tag under their name or on elite prospects or whatever, but they've opted to come to Michigan because it's not a four-year degree, it's a lifetime degree. So especially for women, you know, if you can get a degree at the University of Michigan, it's a hard opportunity to pass up. But yeah, I mean, every every game we play is a battle and our players understand that and we can't take anyone lightly anymore. Well, Coach Trubiano, we appreciate you joining us this week and we wish you the best of luck this weekend against Lake Superior State. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thanks for the support. Once again, thank you to Coach Tribbs, Jenna Trubiano, for joining the show this week and giving us the behind-the-scenes look at the University of Michigan women's ice hockey program. You know, I didn't have the best segue to end that. I want to kind of mention that. We were just talking about probably a fine. I'll take that fine this week in court. But you know what's not my bad is this merch that we dropped um, that you should all buy. The Hockey House hoodie is here. Herm and I were rocking them at Nationals. We've been trying for almost two years now to get a black hoodie with the white text, just simple, clean, a hoodie that you could wear anywhere, all hours of the day, all days of the year. And we finally did it with Selly Hockey Co. So be sure to get yours 
at sallyhockeyco.com. The Hockey House hoodie. Paying for the quality here. Price jumped out to people. You know, we're a club hockey podcast. Everyone's got a tight budget this time of year. This hoodie is going to be worth it. It's going to be your favorite hoodie. You're going to wear it all the time. Let everyone know that you're following along the Hockey House pod with the Hockey House hoodie courtesy of Selly Hockey Co. Glick, we had a burger review, our first of the season. Uh, like, Walk us through that before we get to the blowouts of the week. I honestly kind of forgot about ACHA burgers, but in the last game, I was a scratch, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go get a burger from the Snack Shack. I'm usually pretty excited to get a burger, and I get it, and it's in tin foil. And I'm like, all right, interesting. So I open it, and I'm just look at it, and I'm like, this is going to be absolutely disgusting. And then I take my first bite, and I'm like, I don't even want to finish the rest of this. This is terrible. This is the first time I felt like there was grease coming outside of the middle of the burger. It was literally, I bit into it, and I looked, and there was just grease inside of the patty. Absolutely disgusting. Wait, which which rink were you guys playing at on Sunday? Were you guys at Harbor Center, or were you, or were you guys after us? Oh, that's right. You were after us. I had one kid hand me five bucks because I was scratched as well. Go get me something from the snack stand. And I take a look back there and I'm like, fuck, everything here just looks awful. And I'm just asking, like, do you guys have soft pretzels? And they're like, no, we're out. And I'm like, give the kid back the five bucks. I'm like, well, you're shit out of luck. They got nachos if you want to shit your pants on the ice. But that food looked disgusting, man. What rink were you guys at? I think it was the Hyde Park Pavilion in Niagara. It was rough too. The like I don't know if this happened to you guys, but when we got to the rink at like eight thirty for a, a ten AM puck drop, the rink manager was like what are you guys doing here? We don't have you on the schedule. And so we were nearly freaking out thinking that we weren't going to have a game or we weren't freaking out. We were actually kind of stoked because it means we got to get home early, but still kind of a, an anxious 45 minutes waiting for them to confirm we had a game. We didn't have like that. That's just crazy to think that that happened. Like that's wild. Again, road trip from hell. They're going to make a 30 for 30 about this road trip. The Villanova hockey team made to Buffalo. See, we normally do that. We normally do a documentary. But I decided not to film this year. It's the two-part series. There's like the climax in the middle. It's like you guys winning the Buffalo meltdown, and then it's you guys coming back, and it just goes straight down. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe we go back next year, and we build like the re- like the redeem team here. You know, <laughs> you find the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryant, the, the Dwayne Wade of the ACHA, and get him to Villanova. Well, speaking of the burgers, that's how we got on this topic. The ACHA burgers blowout of the week. Uh, we talked about this one earlier. Grand Valley State, they beat Roosevelt 13-1. to Calvin also beat Oakland 13-1. to In ACHA men's D2, Washington blanked USC 12 to nothing. Lindenwood beat Central Michigan 10-1. to Fitzy, Olivet, Nazarene, am I saying that right? That is correct. They beat Wheaton. 12 to 3 and then they beat Wheaton 13 to 2. I mean these guys are at this point they are a recurring character of the show here. I, I mean no they are getting more airtime than uh anyone else at the D3 ACHA level at this point in the year. And women's division 1 Utah beat Wyoming 13 nothing. Utah followed up by beating Wyoming 10 nothing. Shots were 61 to 1 in the Utah Wyoming game. Lots of pucks for that Wyoming goalie. And then in women's division 2 Liberty they beat Loyola University of Maryland 10 to nothing. And then rounding out the Burgers Blowout of the Week, Alabama beat Alabama Huntsville 17 to nothing in CHF action. So those are the two teams I thought were one and two in the CHF rankings about 10 minutes ago. Clearly not by that final score of 17 to nothing. All right. So the line for today, University of Wyoming total admissions, 7,500 over under. What do you boys think? Over. Over. Wyoming? I mean, that's a big state school, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that's over. That's where Josh Allen went. Speaking of Buffalo, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm taking the over on this one. Watch it be like some ridiculous margin here where it's like one under. Because that's what he did last week to Herm and I. Yeah, that was that was pretty shitty of me. Fitzy, what do you think? I'll take the over. I always go over in this stuff and it doesn't pan out. So Murph, I think we're screwed. No, you guys are all right. 8,869. Nice. Oh, I thought it was going to be like double. I thought it was going to be double. Yeah, I, I thought it was, that I thought was a slim lot victory right there. I guess it is the University of Wyoming. I can't be thinking it's like that big, but I, I thought it was going to be bigger than that. All right, let's get to the games to watch this week. We'll start with all the action on Friday night. Uh, we mentioned this one earlier. Number 25, University of Arizona hosting in-state rival ASU at the Tucson Convention Center. Round one of this matchup. Uh, this is going to be a huge one. Expect a pretty packed barn in Tucson for this one. Speaking of Pack Barnes, we head to La Haye. Friday night, number seven, Liberty is hosting number 10, Stony Brook. Two powerhouse programs with a lot of history. Uh, They go way back. Eschel Powers back in the day. And then Friday night, University of Oregon. Number 12, they are facing off against CIS, University of British Columbia at the Rink Exchange. That should be an interesting matchup. We recorded this before we noticed the incorrect team name on the ACHA website. It is actually the University of Victoria, not the University of British Columbia. Friday night as well in Division 2, we got UCLA versus USC at the Cube in Santa Clara. Crosstown, Los Angeles matchup. More Friday night action. We got number 11, Pitt, versus number 6, Adrian College at the Alpha Ice Complex in Pittsburgh. Sticking with the Friday night action, we talked about this one earlier, but Iron Cup, Alabama, CHF versus Auburn, CHF um, at the Pelham Civic Complex. And then in women's action, we have Liberty taking on Miami University at La Haye, two top teams in women's division one squaring off. And then we also got a huge matchup. Number 14, URI taking on Robert Morris at Boss Arena in Rhode Island. Two teams that pulled off big upsets last week facing off against each other. Saturday, we got some CHF action. Farmingdale State is taking on the University of Delaware, uh, the best of the CHF Empire versus the best of the DVCHC. We got an NCAA versus ACHA matchup on Saturday. SUNY Fredonia is taking on number 18, Niagara. This is a huge matchup. Niagara taking on another NCAA opponent. They're getting used to it at this point, though. In men's Division Three action on Saturday, Air Force Academy is taking on University of Michigan, Powerhouse Air Force versus the national runner-up from last season. And then we got even a little bit of Sunday action. For those of you who don't like watching the NFL, you can tune in to Trine versus Adrian, two teams in the Midwest that are hot in ACHA Division II action. Looking at the slate, any games that stand out to you guys? Fitzy, anything? I know we got a little Michigan. You always love when we talk about the Wolverines, but anything that stands out to you? Looking at the Bama game, we don't play Friday, so I might be able to uh, to go catch that one, see how the boys do. I saw them play a little earlier in the year. I think it was their, their D2 squad. Yeah, I might be able to catch that one. I don't know if they recall it the D2 team, but this is their CHF team facing off. I know the, the D1 team's been new, off to a solid start this year, too. But this should get a, a pretty good crowd for the Iron Cup, as it always does. Glick, anything that you have your eye on in the schedule? Yeah, I mean, anytime University of Arizona and Arizona State face off against each other, you know, it's going to be a great rivalry matchup out on the West Coast. Yeah, that's the one that I got my eyes on, especially with all the attention that hockey's been getting in Arizona lately because of what's going on in Tempe. I think it's time for Tucson to show everyone that they're a hockey city in the desert as well. Collins, uh, what's standing out to you? Yeah, I was going to say Arizona, Arizona State, but I mean, I, I still can't wait to see that game, but trying Adrian 
back to the rink name talk here, but Thunder Ice Arena, that's a sick sounding rink right there. So hopefully either of these teams can bring the Thunder this weekend and we can uh, see a sick matchup. Yeah, and I, I forgot about this one. We do have a Thursday night matchup. Speaking about Big Sky Country, University of Montana taking on Weber State at Glacier Ice Rink, two of the best teams in the West of the ACHA Division II level. Scoring off. That brings us to the game of the week. It's Bedlam, baby. University of Oklahoma, their men's ACHA one team is taking on Division Two Oklahoma State University. Huge matchup for these guys. They're playing at the Box Center in Tulsa, home of the Tulsa Oilers. Uh, this is a huge matchup. I think this is huge for college hockey in the state of Oklahoma. Just to have two college programs like this squaring off. We talked to Ethan McKinley earlier, a couple episodes ago. Just the fact that these two teams, anytime they meet, and no matter what the sport is, it draws a crowd. So hopefully they get a, a, a huge crowd this weekend. Going across the board, Glick, we'll start off with you. Who are you going with? Yeah, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State, which seems like it's quite the opposite of everyone else, but I just love a good division two beating a division one team storyline so best of luck to oklahoma state solid pick i i do think like we looked at this earlier in the year with the iron cup we had chf auburn facing off against division one bama earlier in the year and i think they played them really close i think the underdogs in these games seem to get up a little bit more than the, the heavyweights so we'll have to see collins who are you going with i'm going with boomer sooner baby not for any particular reason just kind of not super close with ethan mckinley but Talked to him a bunch of times and, you know, pulling for him. So uh, he's also, you know, a good friend of the pod, too. So I'm uh, also looking to keep the win streak alive here. So I'm going with the safe bet here, taking the D1 team. Fitz, are you picking a, another team that rocks the crimson and cream? I'm going with the Sooners, baby. Kind of like Collins is saying, I got to work on my record, go with the safe pick here. But I like their jerseys. I don't know. I've always liked like the Oklahoma's jerseys. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing OK State pull it off. So I'm going with the Sooners, but wouldn't mind to see some uh, some magic. Yeah, I'm going to take the Sooners in this one for reasons all the above. Love Ethan and everything he's been doing with the Sooners. Love the jerseys. Love this matchup. I think the last couple weekends, too, I've been saying, like, ah, like I, I'm going to pick this team on Friday night, but I think it's a split. I'm predicting sweep here. I think the Sooners, they're going to wipe the floor with OK State. Uh, that's my prediction. Uh, Herm, you can feel free to add in your prediction uh, when you're when you're listening to this. Sooners by six. Boomer, baby. But should be an exciting week. End of hockey in Oklahoma. That'll be a guarantee for sure. Brings us to the question of the week. I know um, I was a scratch last episode, so we didn't get to cover it. But I want to know everyone's favorite Halloween candy and then their best costume that they had. I'll start us off. Always loved the Heath Bar. I think it's a candy that a lot of people let go to the bottom of the Halloween basket. Love those as a kid. Was willing to trade them with my siblings. I think they're they're pretty underrated. Love the Heath Bar Blizzard at Dairy Queen, too. Got to give a shout out to DQ. And then my best costume, my mom made a paper mache, like Wally the Green Monster when I was in fifth grade. We did like, we took a yoga ball and then we like did paper mache on the outside. So I had this giant mascot head. It was like the coolest costume ever. And I just had green fur all over my body. I was Wally the Green Monster. Definitely the best costume. And my mom, was big on making the homemade costume too because at that point she wasn't teaching yet so she was at home and wanted to make sure we all had the best costume and so that was a lot of effort for her and i think it's still in a bin somewhere in my basement if my little brother ever wants to dig it out sometime but glick we'll toss it to you favorite candy best costume 
Yeah, so my favorite candy is by far Skittles. People who know me know that I'll basically do anything for a pack of Skittles. So whenever growing up, I would be able to get those small little, um, obviously they wouldn't hand out the big packs on Halloween. You don't get the small ones, but those were always the first ones I ate. As far as Halloween costumes go, I was always pretty bad at them. I think I went as a hockey player from like sixth grade throughout high school and in college, just kind of pretty shitty costumes. But this year, uh, me and my girlfriend looked exactly like Eric Foreman and Donna from that 70s show so we decided to go at them as them i mean the resemblance is kind of scary if you take a look at me it's 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 pretty it's pretty scary like i was always compared it to eric in all my tiktoks and she always got compared to donna at work so it was just a perfect storm yeah that is funny because i've never watched that 70s show and i saw like the posts of you guys together and i even knew that it was from that 70s show like i didn't know the characters names but i was like oh like i know i know what this costume is Collins, what about you? What's what's the go-to on Halloween? I thought I was going to be the only one saying this, but the Heath Bar. They, they are fought over in my house when Halloween comes around. So am, am I wrong in saying that it's a forgotten candy? I, I, or is it a... Is it a... I, just, I just think my family's weird. Like, <laughs> never heard of anybody fighting over a Heath Bar. Like, you know, if my brother and I were, you know, like trading candy at the end of the night, like you, you had to be offering up a pretty good trade to be getting a Heath Bar. But like, you know, I would sneak into his bag sometimes and snag a few of those and he would sneak into mine. So yeah. And then also second place for me, I got a lot of shit from this for my teammates when we had this debate. I'm a huge Butterfinger guy. I think they're a, a slightly underrated Halloween candy. Uh, I feel like that's that's probably the only time of year I eat a Butterfinger. I, I never go out and buy one. I don't even really buy candy all that often now that I think of it. Yeah, Butterfinger, highly underrated candy. And then as for the Halloween costume, uh, in sixth grade, so as a little kid, I used to look a lot like Michael J. Fox. So I went as Marty McFly my sixth grade year of middle school. It was pretty crazy. I built the uh, uh, the hoverboard out of wood. Somehow my parents trusted me as a 11 year old or whatever with power tools and I took a two by four cut a cut the uh, the hoverboard shape painted it my like mom and I we went to the Goodwill found an orange puffer vest jacket and then I wear a flannel and uh, jeans and vans and uh, it's pretty identical and then um, one of my buddies was uh, was Doc as well so uh, we won the, the sixth grade or not the sixth grade the middle school Halloween costume competition and I think that that, that was my peak since then it was Nothing great. Last year I was Bubbles. Got a pair of glasses on Amazon for really cheap. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anything will beat the Back to the Future. That, that was awesome. Yeah, I, I like the the Butterfinger is another one too. It's like I enjoy it, but I don't know if I would have. I'm not going out of my. I'm not going to a gas station getting a Butterfinger bar. I also don't think I'm eating a full Heath bar either. I like the mini ones that come around at Halloween time too. Just a couple bites. I think it's like the perfect ratio. Fitzy, I, you must have had some pretty good costumes as a kid. I had a couple. I was trying to pick which one I was going to share. I think I'll go with I was Jack Sparrow from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Had the the full you know head thing going on with the hair. Um, had the plastic sword. The crazy thing was I went to some like. I don't know, party for kids at the school, whatever it was. And someone, I didn't know them at all, but they're dressed up as Davy Jones. So it was like this big thing, like, oh my God, like Fitz has to fight that guy. Like Davy Jones is here. So there was like this like inflatable thing that you like run through. He like straight up tried to like tackle me. And I was just like, dude, like it's not that serious. It was kind of faded. I don't know. It was weird, but it was probably my favorite, favorite costume. I'm a big Sour Patch Kids guy. I love getting them at Halloween. I love getting them the the little watermelon ones at the movie theaters. 
So I'm a I'm a big Sour Patch Kids guy, but like a candy bar, I'm going Milky Way for sure. Another another solid pick there. That's all we got for this week. Lots of rivalry matchups to watch out for, as always. Keep us in the loop. Uh, we try to watch as many games as we can, but we can't watch all of them. So be sure to share any updates with the Hockey House Pod on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, wherever you get your social media feed news. Send it our way. We want to see it. We want to post the highlights. Check in throughout the weekend. We answer as many DMs as we can. But that's all we got this week, and uh, we'll see you boys next week. See you, boys.